Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Hi, and welcome back to the show. Very excited today. I'm going to be interviewing Stephen Diamond from Diamond Corp. So we'll get to that interview in just a minute. But before we do, wanted to just bring to you uh, something that's happening in the news again here. And the headline from the Financial Post today reads, The Markets Eye Bank of Canada Rate Cut for the First Time as Oil Route Damage Deepens. So a long and wordy title, but basically uh, what the article is saying is that very interestingly that the markets are now pricing into uh, in, they're pricing into the market the possibility of rates actually going down in the next little while. So for the for the last year or so, if you've been paying attention to all the headlines, it's been get ready, rates are going up, rates are going up soon. The, the days of the low interest rate days are almost over. You know, everyone's preparing as though this thing is a foregone conclusion. But now what's happened is uh, oil prices have come down so much, uh, about 50% as of time of recording this podcast, oil prices have come down, Canadian dollars falling, and there's a threat now of recession actually happening in Alberta um, because of the uh, oil price uh, plummeting. And so now they're saying the Bank of Canada might actually lower interest rates as opposed to raising them, as everybody's been predicting. So this is very interesting, and for me, it brings out a couple of points that I just wanted to briefly highlight here. The first thing is that you want to invest in Toronto. And obviously, I'm biased, and obviously, you know me, and and I've been, you know, I I sell condos in Toronto, so I'm going to say that. But what I mean by that is that um, you want to invest in the largest city in Canada. You want to invest in the city that's the financial center of Canada. You want to invest in a city that's growing at 100,000 people per year. Um, And you want to invest in a city with a diversified economy. So uh, this crisis uh, on the oil price has sort of exposed some vulnerabilities in the economy in Alberta. So a lot of people have made a lot of money in real estate investing in Alberta over the last few years. But um, to me, this is just another reminder that over the long term, there's no better place, in my opinion, to put your money in Canada than right here in Toronto and specifically in the downtown core. The second thing that I want to bring out from this article is um, as real estate investors, we need to not fear interest rate hikes. Um, First of all, because they're very unlikely to actually happen. And as this article is pointing out, their interest rates might actually go down um, in the in the short term here. But regardless of, of, of whether they go up or down, we, we need to, you know, we need to stop worrying about them as real estate investors. If you've got the thing that I've always, I'm always, uh, you know, teaching my clients to, to purchase, that's positive cash flowing real estate, positive cash flowing condos, you're always going to be okay in the long run. So if interest rates do go up, it just means that you're going to have more renters. Less people will be able to afford to buy. You're going to have more renters and rental rates go up. So your income 
on the properties that you own is tends to go up in times of, of interest rates rising. If interest rates start to fall and money becomes cheaper, more people buy and the prices of assets tend to go up in that sort of uh, environment. And so your property is going to appreciate in value. So the beauty of owning real estate, again, just a reminder, sticking to the fundamentals of why we're investing in real estate versus other things that we could put our money into is because it's, it's such a unique asset class compared to anything else. And it really protects us from um, those fluctuations in interest rates, be they up or be they down. All right, so without further ado, um, let's get to my interview with Stephen Diamond from Diamond Corp. Okay, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Stephen Diamond. Stephen is the president and CEO of Diamond Corp. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Stephen, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? I know your family has a um, long and rich history in um, in the real estate market uh, in Toronto, in particular. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Sure. Well, um, as you mentioned, um, my father was one of the founders of the uh, Cadillac Fairview Corporation, uh, and so it was a very uh, young. Uh, teenager growing up, I was very interested in what was going on in the real estate business. And uh, when I was young, the part of the business that first attracted me was the policy parts of the business. Why is development important? Um, uh, how do you treat neighborhoods? Um, and that led me to becoming a lawyer uh, and into the area of municipal planning law because I enjoyed the opportunity to be an advocate for the development business. Uh, the business is often misunderstood, uh, but when you think about it, while there's a lot of uh, resident resistance from time to time for developments in their neighborhoods, uh, really it's the developer who is acting uh, for those people that don't have a home. And it's the existing communities that are protecting their own interests and so the developer does provide a very important service to our community, providing housing at needed locations for our future population. And uh, that was the start of my uh, interest in, in development and became a lawyer and uh, practiced uh, for many years as a municipal and planning lawyer and had the opportunity to be involved in some of um, Toronto's most interesting and exciting projects. I acted for uh, the owners of the Shangri-La Hotel that is now up and built. Um, I also acted for the owners of the Four Seasons Hotel, which is up and built. Uh, at the time, the uh, Minto Towers at Young and Eglinton that, that were first introduced many years ago was quite controversial, and I had the opportunity to act for them. Um, met Mr. Gary when I was act, uh, the architect who I, when I acted for the Art Gallery of Ontario. So overall, um, there was a wide variety of um, really interesting projects that I had the opportunity to represent in the city, uh, and that was um, a large part of my career. Um, but moving on, uh, it was about eight years ago now, um, uh, I left uh, the practice and decided that I wanted to take the next step and form a development company. 
which is now Diamond Corp and which is well underway. That's great. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about Diamond Corp? What is what is Diamond Corp all about, and what are you most most passionate about today? Well, Diamond Corp is a company that looks from um, a financial aspect um, of missed opportunities or opportunities in the city where rezonings can enhance the value of real estate. Um, and result in um, designing and producing product, most of it a, a mixed-use or condominium product uh, for for the city. So I've taken advantage of the skills that I have as a zoning lawyer, and we look for those opportunities where zoning is an issue, and and proceeded to find and acquire these sites and then redevelop them. Uh, uh, most of the time with partners uh, to bring them to fruition. Uh, the deals uh, that we've been involved with, our very first project that we did uh, was at 5 St. Joseph Street. Uh, it won the Build Award for Best Condo Design of the Year. Uh, it's just about to be occupied and was a very, um, very successful project, both from an urban design point of view and from the marketplace, which was in a very favorable fashion. It was very complex. It was an opportunity where there were, where there were a lot of heritage buildings on site. But we felt that there, it was also a great opportunity uh, to actually revitalize Young Street and preserve the buildings and build the condo above the heritage buildings. And the city agreed. Uh, we were successful with the rezoning. And as I said, it's, it's now uh, up. What I am most passionate about is, is I believe we live in a great city. And I believe that good urban design is very important to our city. I get very passionate about the buildings that we're proposing. Uh, we like to build high-quality, prestigious buildings, buildings that take advantage of their surroundings, buildings that respect the public realm. And we also work very hard with our neighboring communities to take into account the issues that they believe are legitimate and are concerning to them so that at the end of the day we can have a project that is well-designed, respects the public realm, respects the, the, the surrounding community, and hopefully we work hard to have those approvals in place, achieve those results with as minimal controversy as possible. That's interesting. On that point, I want to go a little bit deeper. Um, you are sort of an expert, as you said, in, in the rezoning process and taking one piece of land that's something and changing it into something that's different and much more valuable and, and you're making money for um, your uh, investors in the process and your partners. What is the key to rezoning? Like, what, what is the magic or the secret sauce? Or how do you take something that, that is one thing and, and bring it and turn it into something else to create this big change when, like you said, it's never easy. There's always resistance from a lot of different sides, and there's a reason why it hasn't been done yet um, and why you're, you're being brought in to, to sort of do that now. What's the key to that rezoning process and, and making that happen in your in your experience? Well, I guess if I discuss that, I'll be giving away all my secrets and then everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, um, but um, I, I think it's a, um, uh, it's a combination of, of a couple of um, factors that, that come into play. Um, one is um, recognizing that 
the city and the public agencies have some concerns on a broader scale about the city that they feel need to be protected and that individual developers when they come in with respect to an application may not understand or consider as they only want the city to look at the ramifications of their particular proposal. So the biggest um, factor that I would say to try to put it in, a, in a, as simple a fashion as, as, as possible with respect to the zoning world is that a landowner, if he wants a rezoning, has to remember that he's not entitled to the rezoning, that he's asking for permission for a change. And therefore, if there's going to be a change, they have to be able, the owner or the developer has to be able to persuade the public agencies, the communities, the councillors, and the city staff that what they're doing is in the public interest. And that, to me, is, is the fundamental part of the, of the uh, uh, planning regime or zoning issues. And would you say that's where, and I mean, that so it separates the projects that, are, that fail to achieve that versus those that do succeed? For, you mentioned the Minto, Young, and Eglinton site. For example, that was one that many people remember as being highly uh, controversial. There was a lot of resistance to that. It was a totally new um, sort of built form for the area. Yeah, and that's a, uh, that's a perfect I I example. But looking at the project on its merit, it was a tall building, but it was being located at Young and Eglinton within walking distance of not only a subway system, but actually a regional transportation node. So from a planning point of view, you would recognize that this is a, a very um, good spot for a project. But then the question is, what were we going to deliver between the work that we did and Minto in terms of persuading the city that the time was right to embark on the project? And we did engage um, top quality architects um, from Chicago who came in and helped us to design the building. We used an amazing um, materials. And in fact, that was the first project that the Minto, to their credit, when we went through the process, we actually committed to the materials uh, for the project as we went through, which had never been done before. So the pictures that people saw were what they were going to get because we legally committed to build uh, what, what was envisaged. There's an open space between the buildings that, that we made public, again, is, is one of the um, additional public benefits. And um, when that was all said and done and put together, um, the staff actually then did a little analysis of the area was if they permitted this project to go ahead, what were the, uh, what were the ramifications? Um, and they identified that there were two or three other sites where high buildings could go, but they were satisfied that um, in the context and looking at everything in the neighborhood, that a few additional high buildings in the area was good for the city and that therefore in the end of the day, between all the public benefits that this project was going to bring, that it should move forward. And when you, when you remit, if you think back of South and Eglinton, I mean, across the street, there's a smaller building, but it's really awful in terms of its urban design, and there's no yeah. yes. grade. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. the Minto building with the retail along Young, but yet the towers are set back, it's, it's helped to revitalize that whole area. If, if you look back now, you would say that that project was a catalyst for a positive revitalization of a major part of the city.
Absolutely. And now, I mean, fast forward to today, like you said, there's so many projects coming up there. Um, and now we have the LRT coming in. Um, and of course, look at the results from an investment standpoint. Anybody who's purchased, uh, anybody who did purchase in Minto uh, originally has done very, very, very well with their investment. Um, and the neighborhood is, uh, the, like you said, the neighborhood just boomed ever since. And it's going to continue to grow now with the with the LRT coming in. The next ten years are looking just as good, if not better. Yeah. Um, sure. Let me let me ask you a question. You probably get all the time, but I think it's always interesting to hear different people's take on it. Um, do we have a condo bubble in Toronto? What's your opinion on that? Well, it's very interesting. I was on the um, phone earlier this morning with some people and we were talking about the housing business and the interesting uh, question that arose was right now we're, we're in a, a, a dramatic decline in oil prices and yet I don't recall reading in the newspapers or the magazines over the last few months that anyone predicted that yet on this whole issue of a housing bubble we've been having these predictions for probably since I've been in the business for the last five or six years. Yes. Uh, every few months, there's a prediction that we're in a housing bubble. Yep. Uh, so my uh, my own view uh, on that is that, um, you know, economists can make uh, a lot of predictions, um, but right now it seems to me it's, it's a, um, it, it's not well grounded to suggest um, that we're in a, that, there's, that we're in a housing bubble. And a housing bubble is a suggestion that one small change is going to deflate as a bubble does so that the values would, would go down to such a degree as, as to be somewhat catastrophic. So I don't think there's any evidence uh, that we're in a housing bubble. Um, one of the things that people forget about in terms of looking at what's going on in our city is there's a tremendous amount of condominium construction going on in the city. And the reason for that is the province, some years ago, uh, put in a green, green belt north of the city. And what that has meant is that they've artificially restricted the supply of land for housing. Yes. That, you know, all of a sudden Toronto has a geographic boundary. And that's resulted in land south of the green belt getting very expensive, um, creating less affordable opportunities and also has resulted in a mindset that has changed where people are now accepting that they're going to live in high-density housing. So if you look at the stats of how many housing units were built uh, in Ontario uh, 10 to even 15 years ago and look tomorrow at the numbers, the total numbers of units we're producing each year hasn't changed to any great extent. What has changed is the mix in the units. We're producing far more condominium units than we are single-family units. So 10 years ago, you would have had 70% of the new housing in low-rise and 30% in high-rise, and now that's just the opposite uh, statistics. So there's been that shift in terms of where the supply is, is, is moving to. Now, having said that, um, have we overbuilt in the condominium sector. Um, there is likely 
potentially a little bit of oversupply. Um, my view is is that some of the units that we're building, the smaller units, there may be a few too many smaller units, and we probably need some larger units. But in terms of housing accommodation, and in terms of the demographics and the number of people moving into the city every year, I don't see uh, that they're, that the that we're outpacing in any dramatic way the amount of housing that is needed uh, for people to uh, to live in uh, in terms of the um, in terms of the the supply and the demand. I think it's there. And another indication of that is um, uh, is that we've been approached by a lot of uh, pension funds and other institutions that are looking to build rental housing in the city. So as the investors may be coming wary of investing in the city or have some concerns, there's new purpose-built rental being built in the city, which shows that there's just a demand for this housing uh, that continues. No, I think you, you sort of already answered this question in, in that answer, but um, in your opinion, speaking to the individual condo investor today, why should people buy condos today, particularly in the downtown core? Well, I, I think that the, um, that the core of the city of Toronto is, is probably one of the most unique uh, cities in the world today. It is. Okay, that's a big statement, so let's explain what you mean by that. Well, if you, if you look around the world today, uh, Toronto has one of the most vibrant city cores in the world, and it has one of the safest city cores in the world. Uh, it's a place where people want to live. And the fact is, because there's been so much condominium construction in the core, and that's where the labor force is, it's also resulted now in more office development being in the core. So there's the opportunity for people to live close to where they work, uh, put their, leave their car at home, have great amenities, have great entertainment, and have great features. And so in terms of the world, the Toronto is, is on its way to becoming, if you look into the future, uh, is going to be uh, one of the largest and most successful cities in the world. And in light of the world environment, I mean, how many places, every magazine that comes out, whether it's um, The Economist or Fortune or Newsweek, top ten cities in the world, Toronto is always there, and the core of the city is the most vibrant and most interesting part of the city. So there may be fluctuations from year to year uh, in terms of the supply and the demand, but long term, it's a, my own view, and we're continuing to invest millions and millions of dollars in this city, uh, it is still a great, a great place to be. I mean, I think the bigger issue is going to be in five years from now, we're going to run out of sites in the core. And while today people are spooked about investing, I think that, that anyone who has um, an investment in, in core condos is, is going to do very well over the long term. I mean, we've even, I personally have invested in a couple, uh, even though I have huge investments in our projects, uh, just on a personal note, because I believe that, that the core units are going to retain their value over time. Very interesting. Um, you mentioned pension funds and institutional investors. 
on that note, um, I don't know if anything's being officially announced or anything, but there's some rumors going around about one of your projects that you're involved in, the Selby condos. Um, I don't know what you can speak to that and what's going on with that project or what has happened there um, and uh, what that might mean for the Toronto condo market. So you know, speak about the Selby. Well, I can't say too much about the Selby uh, because uh, we are in discussions right now um, that I must keep somewhat confidential. But the only thing I can say is that um, we are looking uh, at building the project as a rental building. Okay. So the so the original uh, idea was for the project to be a sort of a normal condo building, but now you're looking at just uh, building it out as a, a pure rental building with I guess with the same density, the same sort of the same design and everything. Everything would be basically identical, but rather than going to the condo market, uh, we are looking at it seriously as a rental building. What what does that mean for the uh, what does that mean for the condo market for the rental market that um, you're not the only one I've spoken to a lot of developers who. Uh, who've had similar sentiments, who are now traditionally condo developers who've said, you know what, we're actually looking, we're looking more and more at rentals because the rental market is so strong. So what can you, what can you say about that side of it and, and what it means for the market in the bigger picture? Well, the, the way the market works in uh, Toronto is that um, most of the, uh, actual purchasers who want to buy condominiums want to see a unit before um, they buy. And so the um, what's been spurring a lot of the pre-construction uh, is the investors who are buying, buying those units because they're prepared to wait and hopefully they're going to make a, a good return on their investment. And in the last few months, the developers uh, have seen that uh, because of all the media that that the in, that the number and the amount of investors are uh, perhaps taking a pause in terms of the level of investment, but yet the developers have also seen that there's still a strong demand continuing for these units. So the developers are looking for ways to accommodate that demand in a different manner and get them financed. Um, I believe that what will happen is that eventually uh, those that are interested in investing in condominiums uh, will see that uh, there is a strong demand and that they likely should be looking again and they will purchase at appropriate locations and make investments into uh, condominium units once again, um, which will ensure there's a balance in the marketplace. and. Um, but it's everything like supply and demand. If we are overbuilding at all in terms of the condominium market and there's a little less condominiums built over the next couple of years, then in two or three years from now, there should be an appropriate equilibrium uh, and the marketplace seems to be working and there should be the uh, balance in terms of those units that are available for sale and those units that are available for rent. Interesting. Um, and I think uh, just from a lot of my other conversations that 
the the they're just a there's a wider uh, belief in, uh, that in the rental market in Toronto, like you said, the core of Toronto, the future is very bright, and so these in- institutional investors are you know not not just from Toronto but from around the world are looking at Toronto and seeing that strength and they're wanting to put uh, big money in this market. That's correct. I mean that's that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Um, shifting gears to another very exciting project that you you have coming up, and that's the well development. What can you tell us about the well uh, development for those people who don't know it? Maybe give us a little background where it is, what it is exactly, um, and what do you have planned for this site? Uh, the well is an amazing project. It is. Uh, it's a dream come true for us to be able to be involved in such an exciting project. It's seven acres of land located at um, uh, Spadina and Wellington and Front Street on the west side of Spadina. For people who may not know uh, where exactly it is, it's where uh, the Globe and Mail publishes its newspapers. And the opportunity arose uh, for us to acquire that land uh, a number of years ago when the Globe and Mail put it up for sale. Uh, and uh, we ended up entering into a partnership with two very fine and reputable and successful companies being Allied Properties and RioCan. And the three companies together made a decision that we wanted to build a legacy project, but also try to do something that would be a little bit different uh, in terms of just designing something other than not just a number of of condominium buildings. So in fact, um, we actually took a trip uh, over to Europe and looked at a number of different projects and what had been done over in Europe and came back with the idea of building a true mixed-use neighborhood, a project that would have office uses, a project that would have retail uses, and a project that would have residential uses. And when we went to design it, what we saw in in, uh, Europe was that rather than have um, an enclosed, heated and air-conditioned mall or shopping center type area, we were going to be somewhat bolder and in terms of our retail, build an old-fashioned Main Street retail spine through the project which would not be heated or air-conditioned, where people would meander through the streets and do their shopping. Um, And we believe that even though we have a difficult climate, uh, provided there was some uh, covers from time to time where people could take shelter in case of snow or rain, that this could be an amazing opportunity, particularly in the King West part of the city. So this is now a project um, that... Uh, is in the neighborhood of 3 million square feet. Uh, it has and is proposed to have about um, a million square feet of office. Um, it's going to have um, about a million um, 300,000 square feet of residential, and it's going to have about 600,000 or so um, square feet of uh, retail uses in it. And uh, we're very, very excited about it. We've worked hard with the surrounding community um, who have, who um, have been very, very positive to work with and have actually made a positive contribution in terms of its design. 
and uh, we're very excited about the prospect of um, developing this site. One of the things we realized when we bought the site and did our investigations is while there's been a tremendous amount of condo development uh, in the city, that uh, to make a city fabric work, you need all the uses. You need you need the retail to service the residents. So we found that there was a lack of retail, and therefore we put all of the together so to develop this this true uh, mixed-use community. In fact, the project is so unique that not only is the neighborhood mixed-use, but some of our buildings contain retail uh, and office and residential uses. So we have a mixed-use neighborhood and some true mixed-use buildings. Wow, it's it just sounds absolutely amazing. I've seen some of the renderings, and that's the best way that I describe it to people who I'm talking to it about. Is it's when you said you went to Europe and you were looking for inspiration there. It definitely has a that feel to it of a of a European city, uh, sort of walking streets where you have that mixed use. You've got um, just a lot of street life. You have very interesting retail and storefronts combined with residential, combined with office. Um, and it's just, from what I've seen so far, it really looks like something we've never really seen before on this scale in Toronto. Um, in a sense, the way you, the, some of the renderings, it almost looks like it's been there forever, uh, in a sense, or it's sort of naturally evolved um, as, you, as you sort of get that feeling when you're in a lot of European cities versus the model we've seen a lot of in Toronto where you're walking in these master plan neighborhoods and you know you really have a sense that it's just been created out of thin air and it's just sort of it's, it's more of an unnatural uh environment if that makes sense no it does i think you've hit on another you know key point is that um we've picked up in the design a lot on the fabric of what's going on uh, in the neighborhood and um and that is, or that's what makes this project. It's, it's a very unique and very exciting project, that's for sure. I'm, I'm not sure how many projects have been envisaged like this and on such a, a large scale in the city at the current time. And will there be condominiums available for sale in, in that project, or will it be just be rentals, or it'll be, it'll be condos? Okay. There will be condominiums there for sale, for sure. And when will... When might that go to market? Is that 2015, or is that still yet to be determined? 16. It'll probably be 2016 when we go to market. 2016. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and speaking on the commercial, your partners, RioCan, I guess, is handling the commercial side. Allied, I assume, is the retail side. Um, the office side. Oh, office side. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. Sorry, I had those uh, those flipped there. Um, what what are they saying, or, or what are your partners, what's the sentiment on the commercial, on the office and the retail um, markets in the downtown core as well? Like, is there is there a big demand? Is there a huge need for more office and more retail? They're very bullish uh, on, uh, on the opportunities. Um, in terms of the retail, as I said earlier, we've built thousands of condominiums, but we haven't kept up with supplying the residents with the amount of retail that's needed. So to have additional movie theaters and restaurants and places for people to shop uh, is something that's just very, very much needed. Um, and in terms of the office, uh, Allied is the king of of, uh, of the office development world in, in that part of the city and the core. Um, their buildings are 99% leased in the neighborhood. 
and they are also very confident that this is a great location uh, for office users, uh, a little bit different from the users that may want to be in the core, um, but they're very excited about the opportunity and very confident about its success. Uh, in fact, there's uh, if you look at um, the John Tory Smart Track plan, it, it is actually um, uh, showing a stop uh, along the new plan right at the corner of uh, Front and Spadina. Again, just showing uh, what a, what an amazing location this would be for for office development. Absolutely, and like you said, I mean the King West area is already so established as a great neighborhood, as a place where people want to be. Um, you know, I think this is just uh, <laughs> just great news for anybody who's in the King West area already as well. That that uh, uh, it's just going to be a home run to have this sort of project, this sort of scale. Um, in a location like this, I mean, it's uh, it, it certainly uh, it certainly looks like it's really going to fit well um, with what's already existing around the area. For sure, um, amazing. And just up the street, you've got another project, uh, which I'm I'm wondering maybe is it closer to coming to market? You have a, a site at King and Spadina. I don't know if you can speak to that and and what the what the plans are for that. Uh, zoned on that site, and um, it's about a 300,000 square foot building, and it's going to be actually again mixed use. It's going to have some retail and some office, and some residential. Uh, it was designed by Don Schmidt at AJ Diamond, and uh, we're again partners with Allied Properties on that project, uh, and we're just uh, as we speak um, uh, thinking about our uh, marketing opportunities for the site and different ways that we're going to go and and bring that site to fruition. That's great. That would be a 2015, most likely that one. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's that one's very close. Okay, great. Well, that's a well. King is everyone loves King and Spadina, and we're looking forward to hearing more about that one. Um, what is the future for Diamond Corp? Uh, I know you've you're you've sort of been known, like you said, as a, as a strategic partner, as a rezoning specialist, um, bringing in developer partners to do the actual building out of the sites. Um, but I'm wondering if will you uh, will you start developing sites yourself? Do you think? Um, as the future unfolds, uh, I suspect that um, the company will get more uh, and more involved uh, in the actual development of of its projects uh, because we're very proud of what we do and and like to see them uh, implemented. Um, we um, we haven't made a uh, we're, we're about to. Um, Go into a discussion early in the new year about a, about our strategic direction, and uh, all options uh, are on the table. Um, one of the uh, beauties of the company, uh, the way it's designed right now, is that we can be very nimble in the marketplace and can change quickly in terms of where we want to go by by not actually uh, having the burden of having an actual development arm. So that's one of the uh, issues that we're talking about. But in terms of um, being involved with our projects and bringing them to fruition, um, we're very proud of the work we do, and, and it's a direction that for sure we're going to be heading in. Very interesting. We'll look forward to hearing more about that. Um, now, just uh, one question as we sort of wrap things up here. Is there, I know you get asked a lot of, a lot of the questions about the market and about um, condos and things, but is there one question that no one has ever asked you about yourself or your company or the condo market, but that you wish that someone would ask you, and what would that question be? Um, 
Well, you know, it's interesting. In terms of the, of the marketplace, the question would be, um, we read everywhere that Toronto has more uh, cranes uh, moving than anywhere else in the city. So is that a dilemma for, for investors in the condo business because we're building so much condominiums? And I dealt with this a little bit earlier because I find that that one statistic uh, is totally irrelevant when it comes to viewing the marketplace for our housing. Uh, because, for example, if Toronto is growing by 100,000 people a year and um, Boston is growing by 20,000 people a year, then obviously we're going to have more cranes in the air if we're going to satisfy the demand than Boston. Even in New York City, um, they may be a bigger city, but the question is, are they proportionally growing as much as we are in terms of how much development we have? And the other aspect that we talked about earlier in terms of that particular issue, again, is where are the opportunities for people to live uh, in the greater Toronto area in terms of housing accommodation? And as I said, the, because of the, the green belt that's been put in place north of the city, the amount of inventory for low-rise housing is very limited, and therefore, my own view is is that not only is there a future for high-rise development, but in many cities in the world today, one finds families living in high-rise housing. And eventually, I believe that within the city of Toronto, that is going to become a much more accepted way for people to live as it is elsewhere in the world, and that that will also result in the continued demand for high-density housing and perhaps larger family units for people to live in because these people want to be in the core of the city um, and need places to live, and those options will become very important for them. And that, I believe, is what is what, what we'll see in the future in the city of Toronto. That's great. Um, and that's certainly a theme that uh, I've talked a lot about on this show is, is, the, uh, is that move towards downtown living, towards the normalization, I guess you, you could say, of high-rise living for families. And uh, we sort of see it as weird uh, traditionally here, but we are unique in the world because it's, it's not that way everywhere else. So um, I think we're definitely heading in that direction. And, you know, I think projects that have the vision like, like the well uh, project that you guys are, are working on and others in the city um, where developers have similar vision for uh, mixed use communities uh, I think that's those are the those are going to be the spots where we really start to see that sort of lifestyle change happen. No, absolutely. I think you're dead on on those thoughts for sure. Stephen, thank you very much for your time today. Again, um, if people want to find you or find uh, more information about Diamond Corp, where is the best place that they should go? Well, we do have a website um, that's up that shows all of our projects and everything we do. Uh, and uh, it's um, www.diamondcorp.ca. Great. That is the place to go, I would suggest, and it has all the information about the company and also has uh, you know, my email address and other email address of people who work here and shows all the projects that we're involved in. Great. I'll be sure to include a link to that on the show notes for this episode. Stephen, thanks again for your time, and hopefully we can have you on the show again soon. Um, and I wish you all the best in 2015. Well, thank you.
Thank you, Andrew. The best to you, and it's been a pleasure speaking to you uh, this morning. Great. Great. Bye Bye for now. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, there you go. That was my interview with Stephen Diamond from Diamond Corp. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, That was one of my favorite interviews that I've done to date, and Stephen had some really cool insights and interesting things to say, I thought, about the market. Um, It's interesting, on top of the show, we were talking about oil prices in Canada and affecting the Canadian economy and so on, and he he had a great point that, you know, it's interesting that uh, no one predicted this huge crash in oil prices. No one thought oil prices were going anywhere. And look at what happened to them. Meanwhile, housing market, people have been predicting the housing market crash for years and years and years, and it still hasn't happened. It's a very interesting point um, to think about there. And I loved what he had to say about Toronto being the most unique city in the world in so many ways, that the core of Toronto is just such a great, great place to put some money into now for the future, to, to look long-term, to see where this city is going. Um, and on that note, to understand, again, I've said this so many times on this podcast, that Toronto is a growing city, that we are so unique in that we are growing. We are growing, it's been well-documented, by approximately 100,000 people per year. Um, and so, yes, we do have a lot of condos being built. We do have a lot of cranes going up, as Stephen talked about in the, in the interview. Uh, that doesn't, that has absolutely, you know, the, the, just because there's a lot of cranes going up, as he met, said, doesn't, doesn't, isn't a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a reality of growth. It's a consequence of gro- growth that we have right now. When you look at Toronto versus other major cities, throw a couple statistics at you. Something interesting to talk about. At your next cocktail party, Toronto's growing by 100,000 people per year. Um, The city of London in uh, England, London, England, uh, one of the great cities of the world, much larger city than Toronto, about 8 million people in London. They are growing, would you believe, also at around 100,000 people per year. So one of the great cities of the world, one city that we're always, um, you know, often comparing ourselves to are we a great world city like fill in the blank you know london is always one of those cities that we 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 mention much bigger city than uh toronto they're growing by about the same rate as we are the same number of people as we are so interesting there and if you look at uh new york city um compared to toronto but actually forget about new york city even though New York is a is a much bigger city again than Toronto, but if you look at the entire state of New York, uh, last year the entire state of New York grew by get this fifty thousand people. Very interesting. I came across that stat recently. Fifty thousand people. The entire state of New York, including of course New York City. Um, grew by about half as much as the greater Toronto area, the GTA. So a little food for thought for you. And again, um, just more encouraging news to keep investing in Toronto and keep going for that positive cash-flowing real estate here. And you're going to be very glad that you did in the long run. So thank you very much for listening once again. My name is Andrew LaFleur. You can always find me at truecondos.com. 
And you can send me an email if you want to get in touch with me, andrew at truecondos.com, or give me a call anytime at 416-371-2333. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com. 